Welcome to the Boil Down Coffee Club Podcast, the meeting after the meeting, where we talk about our experience living sober. We don't speak for Alcoholics Anonymous. This is only our experience. We have no monopoly on sobriety. If you don't like our approach, that's okay. There's lots of ways to live, and there's lots of ways to live sober. This works for us. We are Nip and Sip, the Temperance Brothers. <laughs> I'm Nip. And I'm Sip. <laughs> Didn't know you were Sip, did you? I had no clue. <laughs> Click and Clack would be proud, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we've got that bluegrass music <laughs> playing behind us. You're pulling things out of... I, I didn't expect that one. That one. You pulled that right out of an owl's ass. <laughs> Say what? <laughs> Don, how the hell are you? I'm doing great. Glad to hear. I had an art show uh, oh, at, yeah. a, at a gallery this past month. It's been up. It's still up. It was wonderful. It was received very well. And I sold a bunch of artwork as well. Ooh, people nice. bought it. People liked it well enough to buy some of it. And here's That the, means they really liked it rather than just <laughs> yeah. telling you. But the thing about it is... is uh, when I got sober, I thought I would never paint again. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't paint at the very. In fact, it was uh, it was about a year and a half before I could paint anything. And I remember talking to my sponsor about it and going, and he said, "Maybe you're not supposed to paint." And I was going, "Ugh, that just killed me because it was like my creativity mm-hmm. was gone. Your but muse, my muse. Yeah, the muse was well. What it was was painting and drinking were so intermeshed that every time I went in the studio, it was like, it was almost like going into a bar. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Well, my whole life was like going into a bar in some ways because everything reminded me of drinking, but something about painting really was because I, I drank to like kill the, you know, anytime you do any, anything creative like that, there's a, an element of trying to get over the uh, fear of failure mm-hmm. a, at the beginning of it. And, and drinking was a big part of it. So, you know, I could get to the flow with, after about 12 beers. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I could flow, buddy. <laughs> and the paint was flowing. <laughs> the paint would flow. Everything would flow. Uh, and it flow all over the flow. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> but <laughs> but you know, the, I remember talking with someone about not being able to paint, and she said, "Well, why don't you do a painting about not being able to paint?" Ooh, and that's I, very meta. I did. I did this painting of being stuck. This person that was stuck, and it took off, and I got into it, and it helped. But still, it was like it was pulling teeth for a couple of years. But event, but now look at. I mean, I I love it, and mm-hmm. I have. I'm incredibly creative, and in everything, every aspect of my life. I did not lose my creativity by quitting drinking. You know what? I gave everything to alcohol, and at one point, I thought I gave my creativity to alcohol. You can't have it. I'm taking it back. Well, you know, I mean, what I'm hearing you say is that, you know, you you gave the access to your crea- creativity to, to needing to drink. You couldn't access it you or you yeah. thought you couldn't yeah. access creativity 
unless you were drunk. It's like and I can't. And then you found, just like we find in so many ways, that, wow, I can actually live and live well sober. And you found that that included that you had access to your crea- creativity without being drunk. Right. And what kind of things do we give up, you know, for, for alcohol? I mean, oh, my God, feel, so much. You know, I and know more that, and more as my world got smaller and smaller. Like, now you can dance. Not really. but i don't care that i can't dance yeah that's the thing (laughs) we have a guest we do have a guest hey there who are you i'm drew hey drew we're glad you joined us yeah i'm glad y'all having me drew thanks for coming can you dance i have in the past uh yeah i guess so uh i don't have the urge to do it as much as i think i would watching. but that might have something to do with age too that too and having having a surgically repaired back at times. Uh, yeah i oh, get that, that too that yeah. make a difference yeah. yeah what did you think that you would not be able to do if you quit drinking how long is this uh podcast <laughs> <laughs> so our first two-parter yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. no it's everything I mean, I, I just, I had no clue. I mean, when I got sober, I was 24. And I had spent basically since I was, I can't even remember. I don't remember my first drink. I remember, you know, I'd always have sips off my dad's Budweiser. What year did you get sober? I got sober in 08, uh-huh. in February of 08. I don't remember my first drunk. I don't remember the first drink. I, but I, I just remember, I snuck airplane bottles into a seventh grade Valentine's dance. So, you know, I'm in seventh oh, grade, dude. so you think I'm 11 or 12 years old at that point. And you don't think your first encounter is I'm sneaking bottles in. So I know I'd been doing it at least a little while before that. But I grew up going to, the, you know, all these football games with my dad. And, you know, you drank before and you obviously had to sneak something into the game because yeah. it's going to make the game that much better. So I had, I had always equated fun with drinking. Right, and, I, and, I, and even 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 when I first got sober, you'd see people drinking. I remember walking, you know, downtown and there'd be people out on the patios drinking and and I and it took me a while till I put two and two together in my head. But I always saw that people were having fun because they were drinking. Well, that was my old vision. It, it and was it, totally because it was cause it's cause and effect. Everything has a cause and effect, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. No, and it ended yeah. up being my dad had a good time at football games. And he was drinking. Uh-huh. Those were like two mutually exclusive things. You know, you could have one without the other. I, they had they they were so ingrained well, or entwined. Can't. So, well, yeah, alcoholics. Yeah, <laughs> well, I, yeah. I, I told. I mean, anything that was worth doing was made better by being drunk. Right. Yeah. That's where I was. And and why would you be so foolish as to not drink? Limit yourself. From having fun. Maximum fun. Maximize it. Yes. All the fun. I want all the fun. (laughs) All the time. That's it. Yeah. And and, and I'm going to have it all for myself, too. Yeah. So plus that, your own little stash of alcohol. Yeah. <laughs> so that was, you know, you can, God, I could just go on and on, like not playing a, a round of golf or not, you know, smoking a blunt before I went to play basketball because I thought, you know, that calmed my nerves enough to, you know, to just let the game flow or, you know, yeah. whether I, yeah. before I had to clean the apartment that we had let go forever <laughs> because of, you know, college guys. But it's like, you know, tie my shoe, go to class. You know, it, it preceded everything I did. So, how am I going to do everything I've done or wanted to do? Did you find that you couldn't play golf at first? Um, 
Well, I, I couldn't or, drive, so it's really hard to like get a, 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 a yeah. your golf clubs on your back and ride your scooter to a golf course. It's but a no, great, I can that. envision it though. It's <laughs> yeah. a really cool. No, that was that was one of the first bit of fellowship that I was able to do. Because I, I had I had probation. Oh, well, I had a I had a court ordered six o'clock curfew like my first six nine months because uh, you know DUIs got me into treatment because my lawyer advised. I, I mean, I didn't even try to. I wasn't going to get sober. I went to like avoid jail, and this is what my lawyer advised. And about the third day there, it clicked. I was in the right place, and and you know wow. my story went from there. But when I got out, I didn't know anybody in the area. And I couldn't drive. And so a lot of it was, uh, and I had a six o'clock curfew. So I remember in the treatment center and I went there this morning and a lot of the questions was, how do you have fun sober? Mm-hmm. And I heard all these things of people to do, but I had a six o'clock curfew. So like I couldn't like go do the karaoke or go bowling at night. I had to be in the house and well, you know, I, I made the best of that. I was, I finished my degree online and made straight A's, but you know, on the weekends I had a little bit more free time. So the guys would pick me up and we would go to a, a morning meeting and then they would take me to play golf. And I got to cool. do that with people that were sober, and yeah. and that give I bet that gives a lot of opportunity for conversations out on that golf course. Yeah, and a lot and a lot of opportunities to work on how I uh, let my ter- character defects come out. Uh, <laughs> oh God, yeah, because golf is the sport <laughs> of any sport that will. Uh, that is a good bring point. It out. <laughs> yeah, but it felt good, you know. You know, there was somebody who'd been sober 10, 12 years, and they're throwing a golf club. And you're like, all right, you can, you know, not to saying that's a good thing or not, but. Uh, you know, it's like, all right, we're, we're human. You know, we're not perfect. We're not but they're, saints. But they're throwing a golf club and not getting drunk afterwards. Correct. Yeah. yeah. So that always leads me to the good story about, you know, my, my, I used to live with guy, you know, Richard. He threw every club he had in the in the pond. <laughs> One at a time. One at a time. <laughs> From you. And so, like, he'd, throw, he'd thrown all his clubs and ended up getting more, but, you know, bought new clubs. But to throw them one at a time, you know, drive all the way wow. down. He finished. Took the cart, went to the, and then threw them all. At least you can laugh at that today, how absurd that is. <laughs> Was he sober? Yes, for a number of years. I think it's a great analogy for how things go. I mean, yeah, you know, sometimes I'm over it. And the thing is, is that I'm, we are not rendered white as snow. You know, I'm, I'm, my character defects are absolutely going to crop up. And at times, they're going to really show up. And the th- I don't get drunk over it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... And that's a win. Yeah, that's a win. Also, when you think about it, he was not harming anyone. <laughs> he, might, he might have taken out a fish or a turtle. Yeah, that's possible. <laughs> you can never put the value on the, on the, uh, of a bad example. Oh, truly that, yes. <laughs> I remember having lunch with my sponsor's sponsor. And this guy was a uh, flipped houses, real estate. He did construction and all, and he was talking about. I was really pissed off at this this guy, this deal that we're making, and he did such and such, and yet, and you know, I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Okay, I know what I got to do, and I was going, "What is this?" I had never seen a grown man in mid sentence just switch and say, "I'm wrong." And that kind of modeling of uh, being honest, I guess, is what it is. Being honest with myself, because he was like letting go of his pride. It was a point of pride that he was fighting with. This a huge example of willingness there. Yeah, it made a big impression on me. I was, you know, I was, I was in first six months or so of sobriety, and it was like the same guy shared that he uh, 
he threw a piece of paper into the trash can across the room and it bounced off the edge of the trash can, fell on the floor, and he went, oh, I'm sober. I have to go pick that up. <laughs> <laughs> and he went and picked it up and put it in the trash can, and it's like little things like that. It's like, oh, I didn't know you had oh to my do God. that. That's so funny. That, <laughs> that happened to me literally yesterday. Not not that I threw a piece of paper across the With room or anything, but, but it was like I missed the trash can in the hotel room. And it's like... Yeah, I hate it. I have to go do it. I yeah, because he yeah. said that I can't. I can't leave it there for somebody else to clean up. <laughs> it's true. My mess. <laughs> the path narrows. The path narrows. Yeah, Drew. So you got sober because of a DUI. The culmination of multiple DUIs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But that was uh, that was probably the straw that broke the back of you know my mom was a paralegal so she worked for this lawyer. And since I was in high school and getting in trouble with the law, I'd always just got slaps on the wrist. And and finally got to the point is like he's looked at me, he's like, dude, I can't do anything for you. You know, this is the this was a this was a DUI on a driving privilege for a DUI on a driving privilege from a DUI. Wow. So okay, you're still you're going into treatment just to get out of trouble. What was it that happened that allowed you to see that? It was maybe it was you that was something here with alcohol and you. I think it was it was I, I would say the third day because I remember that being I, I mean I went I was a bit of a binge drinker because towards the end I had a lot of health issues. I got diagnosed with Crohn's when I was 21 mm-hmm. and I had to have an ostomy bag for about eight months and I was drinking with that thing. And the doctor told me then he's like, this isn't gonna be temporary if you keep drinking, Ooh. you know, or you might not see 30. And he told me that and I drank with the bag. And I drank for another three years. And so I'm in the treatment. I weighed 120 some pounds. So yeah, I, that's a serious reason to quit drinking. You would think. Yeah. But that just shows the insanity of it is that I, even everybody knew is that I'm ultra competitive. And it was almost like it was almost a challenge of like, I'm going to prove you wrong. Because I mean, I was always, I've been always fairly athletic very active and I'm like and that really you know took a chunk of the ego and I'm like I'm gonna prove because they're like living with an ostomy bag and I get this brochure and it's a bunch of it's like somebody in their 70s and 80s playing tennis and I'm like that's not me that's not my picture that's not me I'll show you I'll prove you wrong I'll prove you different I can do this and that's how my whole life was from school to sports it's like I'm gonna be top of my class I'm gonna letter four years in, in two sports I'm going to be the biggest stoner you will ever meet in your life. I'm going to party it, and I'm going to come in. I'm going to do all these things. So and you're I, really fighting to hang on to the ability to drink as a point of principle. Basically, you know, I'd look. I, I what spent, hit you? The well, science. The, the science, because I mean, I want to say self will run riot. Yeah. I mean, that right, what you just yeah. described was totally that. Yeah. yeah, I think the first chink was something I could believe because I could put tangible. It was more tangible when they started talking about the percentage of the population and how it affects people and how it's processed differently. And, you know, what does that mean? Describe what you're talking about. Well, so the very first thing is he sat down and said, all right, 10 percent of the American population is alcoholic or, or processes alcohol differently where the brain treats it almost like like 
like an opioid. Is that's how he explained it to me. I think mm-hmm. I may I may butcher it, but that's what I remember, and that's what I hung on to. So that's what uh-huh. we'll keep. <laughs> yeah. So, but then he started talking about the Asian population, one to two percent. Why? Because they've been exposed to it through thousands of years, and they were either died early or they were not suited to wed and to reproduce, so it didn't get passed on. Then he got into well, the Native American population has only been exposed to alcohol for two hundred fifty years. 60 to 80% of the population is alcoholic. My gra- my grandfather's mother was off a reservation. So he was he was half Irish, half Native American. I was screwed from the get-go if you look at it that way. <laughs> yeah, genetically. I've, yeah. I've never heard this about the populations. This is all new information. Yeah, uh, that was the cool thing. And so even the doctor there had a doctorate in addiction, but he had been clean for cleaning sober for like 27 years at that point in time. So he was, you know, he spoke the language and, you know, and even talked his own story. And mm-hmm. a lot of it started clicking. So that was the first little chink. All right, so I can, I can see that. Because it's hard to grasp and see insanity from insane eyes oh god yeah. yes so i couldn't see it myself but i could see it as i started to talk to all these people and i realized so i was in there with some i was in there with some very successful people and i could see it's just not my perception of what a drunk was because i would always look at oh yeah i'd be unhappy with my life because i'd look at the things i was missing but you didn't come to come into drinking or changing my lifestyle i would tell you well i'm in grad school making a's and b's you know i've been top of my class i, I don't go look these, like an alcoholic. i'm not no i've had the same job for seven years which is really kind of hard to get fired <laughs> when you're smoking and doing drugs with the owner you know it's, it's hard to get fired but that, <laughs> oh wow I, but i would say you know i've had this job forever and i show up well i can drink and smoke during during the clock <laughs> you know it's easy to show up <laughs> My boss was my dealer for cocaine. That was that made for an interesting situation. He yeah. he'd hand me three hundred dollars and I'd hand him two hundred dollars and then that would be <laughs> it. <laughs> oh, that's great. God it was, it was awful. And then Monday morning it's like uh, can I borrow enough money for lunch? <laughs> yeah, um, well the workplace God, is, every is week. I think the workplace is is, is common for a lot of us. I mean, I at 15 years old is when I started working in that restaurant. And then at 16, that really got going. Of course, they wouldn't let me drink, but they sure as hell would let me smoke pot with them. Mm-hmm. And that was the real beginning of my using drugs and alcohol on a regular basis. You know, before that, it was just when I could get it, but then they became a source. Mm-hmm. So you got the physical side of it, the genetic side of it made an impression on you. What else happened? We would sit in these small groups and people would tell their story. And then they'd take us to meetings and you'd hear talks because they took us to a lot of speaker meetings in treatment. You know, And you're hitting both AA and NA meetings. Uh, I didn't do any NA meetings. Oh, so you had a choice. At that point in time, you could choose. Okay. and obviously my ego kicked in. I'm not, I'm not as bad as those addicts, so I'm not going to go to an NA meeting. But they told their story, and I heard their talk. And I think the craziest thing that always resonated in how I try to explain it is I could not believe that they were saying the stuff that had been in my head my whole life. Yeah. And they were saying it out loud. Because that was the one thing is, you know, I, I was so about the appearance. I had to show that I had it all together. And I can fall into that in recovery, too. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, not that be able to ask for the help. They was just, I couldn't believe they were saying it. And like, all right, if I, if I think like them and I have this genetic piece, I've, I've hit the two parts. I've hit the, the bodily and, and the mentally. It took a real long time to grasp the spiritual piece. Mm-hmm. And how long is a real long time? Well, even comfortable. I mean, I probably didn't feel comfortable even sharing the word God outside of reading the tools until about two years sober. 
mm-hmm. um, for a long time. And, 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 my, and my sponsor, is, I would say, is very religious-ish. It's just how he was raised. But he never mm-hmm. pushed it on me, and he allowed me... He offered me things... Why don't you, you could try to read this or what do you think about this? And gave it me, allowed me to process it, process it myself and on my own time. And, but I honestly, I just took the actions. I think I took AA as a, as a whole, cause I knew I couldn't put a per, you know, I, I listened enough that I couldn't put somebody on a pedestal. I couldn't just say it's one person or whatever, but I took the principles and I said, if I live these type of principles, that'll give me the life. That's that power. This, 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 guiding force is how I looked at it almost. Mm-hmm. And even that's kind of how I look at spirituality today. Cause I usually try not to speak too much about what I believe in, in, in a big group. Cause yeah. it's, it doesn't matter. Cause I don't want to put anybody off. Cause you know, mm-hmm. I remember early on, if I heard the big JC dropped in a meeting, I'm like, I shut off and I can't listen to that person again. Yeah. That was me. And me too. And I allowed that to happen that I just took the actions. I took the actions. I prayed to, I I, I acted if I, and I didn't even like the fake it till you make it. I like somebody told me is like, act as if, act as if I believe. So I acted as if I believed. I I don't know if I did or not, but I'm going to act like I do because that's what they, I I was willing to try anything at that point. I think I'd saw the hopelessness of my condition and where my life was taking me. That's a thing that's really different about AA from religion, at least from the religion that I grew up in that, I think it's like not very confident because for that religion was not very confident because you're required to sign on to what they say you need to believe. Yeah, don't tell me how I got to, what I've got to believe and and how I interact with that. But the difference with AA is it is perfectly okay for you to fake it till you make it. And the reason for that being is that AA is confident that. If you take the action, even if you don't believe it, you'll end up having the experience. You'll get what you need. Um, you know, and, and the thing that I, I, I clued in, I, 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 my ears perked up when you were talking about your sponsor being very religious, but didn't try to indoctrinate you with his religion. He gave some suggestions. You might try this. You might look at this. But it wasn't as if, like, I'm going to proselytize here and, and I'm, I'm bringing you into my religion. And that is, I think, one of the biggest misconceptions about AA that a lot of people that have no experience with it is that it is religious and that we're going to tell you what you got to believe and we're in here to try to convert you. Well, yeah, the conversion is we want to turn you into someone who's happy, joyous, and free because you're not (laughs) drinking alcohol, um, ruining your life. Um, That's it. Yeah, but um, they meet, we meet in a lot of churches. We do. We surely do. But in the basement, usually. It's in the basement. <laughs> and we pay rent. We do pay rent. Uh, and that, and that's an important distinction. we the churches. Um, we have a cooperative relationship with, with churches, with uh, community organizations, with uh, uh, clubhouses that are specifically for meetings to be held. Uh, AA rents meeting space. Right. So Drew, what did did you ever have at some point an experience that was just like this is working? I can see it. I had one of those educational varieties. I don't think I noticed mm. when it happened. It's kind of the same way with drinking. I didn't know when I crossed that line, but I crossed that line. Mm. And I think even with that, more and more things happened and, and, and coincidences stopped being that. They started to be, yeah. you know, this is this is the push. This is the the force kind of behind me, allowing me to keep me in guard. Because I remember the first time I started to act as if I believed, 
all right, let me give this thing a shot. And I prayed for, well, I need to really get a sponsor because I decided I was going to stay in the area because I had originally, you know, always planned on going home back to my hometown after I finished treatment. And I got close and I got really squirrely. And I said, all right, let me finish the summer through here because I'd already had to drop my classes and I wasn't going to be able to go back to school till August. I was like, oh, I'll get grounded. And I prayed for the sponsor thing. And the guy that's been my sponsor for 11 years now, he shared that meeting. He was a mechanic and he was going to have to close his garage down. And he's like, I don't know where I'm going to get my next paycheck. I don't know where I'm going to put gas in the car to get here tomorrow for the meeting tomorrow. I don't know if I'm going to be able to have food on the table, but you know what? God's going to provide me what I need when I need it. He's got me this far. Maybe, maybe, and this is, this is where it goes into the prayer part is he said, maybe he's going to put another sponsor in my life to help me get out of myself. So this guy hit me right as a, the, that morning, this is the, the 8 a.m. meeting. And I just prayed, you know, that morning yeah. about it. And I'm like, all right, I guess, you know, two things. So one, he mentioned that, you know, about sponsoring somebody. Uh-huh. And that's what I was, that's what I was, I came, I came open-minded to look and see if, if the, the sponsor would pop up out of nowhere. <laughs> <laughs> and, <laughs> I love this. and the second part was, is the fact is this guy, I, I, like I said, I was all about appearances and this guy was, you know, I, I mean, I got a master's degree in finance, you know, I've been good with numbers and all this. And I, I work on it. Even today I work in front of a computer crunching numbers. And this guy's a master certified auto mechanic. You know, he's been under hoods his whole life. I have no clue. You know, I don't, I, I admit, I don't know what to do with the car for the most part. He's taught me a lot of stuff. I'll tell you over cool. the years, but mm-hmm. you know, this is a guy that works with his hands you would not put us two together. Mm-hmm. But when he opened his mouth and he shared, he lived and he had this piece about him, about those things that always mattered so much to me. And I knew, and I'd done at least, you know, I'd done a four-step in treatment and I looked at me and realized how much appearances meant to me and how much power I put in money and power and prestige. And this is the guy that's lost everything and he's got this calmness. I'm going to be okay. I got, he had this faith, this unshakable type faith. And I was like, that's what I need. That's what I want. I want to have that. I want peace. I want the chaos in my head to stop. Drew, you uh, you said something a few minutes ago about um, the, how today that not wanting to share, that you're in a bad spot, that desire not to share that, to, to look good, can get in the way sometimes. Um, and that you know that's what you're talking about right now. And it's one of those things that I've experienced in meetings that not all, but some of the sponsees that I've collected over the years have come up to me after I shared the shit that was going on in my life, the pain that was going on and what I was doing about it. That's the key right there. What you just said though, is what am I doing about yeah. it? And I think that's, 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 that's the fine line though, too, is if you don't talk about problems or like I'm having this issue, I, I hope, I hope, I hope that you start, whoever it is, you know, starts talking about the solution on the yes. side of it. How am I going to get past it? Cause that's what I needed. I needed hope. I had problems. I knew what problems were going to be. Yeah. Oh, know, yeah. I, I could oh, tell yeah. you, I can tell you, oh, well, you want to talk about problems? We used to talk about the problems at the bar all the time <laughs> and how we would, oh, it'll be different this time, but never really put any, any substance to our solution. And it's like, oh, it's going to be different. It's going to be different. And, but, you know, to actually have something, you know, with, with depth and weight. Yeah. yeah. I think is what is crucial if you're going to talk about the hard times. Well, and you know, and, and the difference between the, the, the bar friends that I had and the friends that I have now is that, you know, the bar friends were going to pile on to the problem of, you know, yeah, how dare they do that to you? And, and well, yeah, you think you got problems? You should see what I got going and, you know, all that crap going on. Today, I talked to someone in recovery, my sponsor or trusted friend, about a problem, and they might let me bitch about it for a few minutes, but it's going to roll around to, what's your part in this, Sam? What are you going to do about it? It's not, they're not going to let me like wallow in the self 
the self. There's kind of like in the world before I came to AA, it was expected to have uh, resentment and and anger at the stuff that had been done to me. And if you talk to someone, then they would be like. Yeah, that's right. Well, you ought to get them. And what you ought to do is you ought to do. And the difference in AA always is always about letting go or Mm. or finding out what can you really do about it? What's the one thing that you can really do? Where How can you be effective with it? Not just like hold on to the anger and resentment and, and pile on and get all... Puffed up, <laughs> yeah. Which is what happy hour really was about. Well, and, but it's it's something that we're about. taught too. I mean, I was totally taught the the modeling, just like you were talking about modeling of in early recovery to see these people who have sobriety and how they live. You know, as a kid, I was taught that you get pissed off at everybody around you because shit's not right. That's right. Yeah. And yeah. and then as an alcoholic, I took that to extremes. Yeah. But. I've done I've done work in you know as a as a house painter I'm a house painter so I've done work in lots of people's houses and you hear the family going oh. on while you you become invisible after a while uh-huh. you know and you're just just there and it is surprising how often one of the 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 husband or the wife comes home and starts bitching about what the what they did what happened at work and the other one's going oh that's terrible you couldn't that you know you can't and you don't hear what I would hear in AA, which is, oh, well, you know, what's your part? When are you going to let go? You don't say that stuff. And in fact, I can't say that stuff to my wife. <laughs> so oh, at first I thought you said you can't say that to your clients, which is true, too. I can't say it to the clients either. But, you know, if I start sharing about, uh, well, maybe you need to let go, she'll, she'll say, thanks, Dick, not Don, <laughs> which, you know, is a play on words with Tick not Han, the Buddhist. <laughs> mm-hmm. just, it, it doesn't work with people outside of the program necessarily to very quickly go, well, what's your part? <laughs> Where are you letting go? You know, but NAA, we do it all the time. We do. Well, but, you know, even newcomers in AA, it, that doesn't go over well with no, them either because they don't have any experience with doing that yet. That's right. There was a newcomer. There was a newcomer one time at the Unity Club, and he said something about what they had done to him and this and that. And he was started going on and on. And I was going, mm, I think I detect a little resentment. And he was going, I don't have a resentment. What are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and was, then you wound up on his fourth step. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. <laughs> oh Lord! Well, Drew, what's your sobriety like today? How do you stay sober? I was actually talking to somebody about that today because we were talking about you know somebody who had had a slip, and you know I think I'd seen a couple of uh, unfortunate incidents over the last week or something. And like you know, what are the, some Me of the too. things? And I think there's certain things I've decided. I, I've, I've I've almost put a foot in the ground of like these are the things I'm not going to give up, mm-hmm. and it's recovery things. And I think one of the main ones is I've always gotten up early. And started my day in, in quiet, and in in that morning meditation time, you know, and I'm not perfect with it because obviously, you know, I'm not like the most spiritual person. Oh, I don't feel like I am, uh, so I always think there's room to grow in it. But I, I put the I put the time in there, and I do my morning readings, and I and I, I mean, I wake up at five fifteen in the morning, 
you know, I leave at 6.30, and like, I'm not a, I don't want to be in a rush, because if I rush my day, my whole day's rushed. Mm-hmm. And I've always kept that in place, because um, I was telling him, because I'd sponsored this guy for about five years, and he relapsed And um, after I gave him his five-year chip. And a lot of what it was is, um, and this is a guy that was, he was, he was going to school to be, get his master's in, you know, in social work. He was working at a treatment center. He was dating a girl that was 10 years sober. She was the DCM of her area. And he was surrounded by recovery. And I always make sure wow. I make this point of, and I've asked him this, and, it's, and I could tell it because I've asked him. But he said, I was like, what, did, what happened? He's like, well, I stopped praying. Hmm. That was the one. He was around it 24-7, but he stopped that piece. And that's the one part hmm. that I don't want to – I've kept that in place. And people are like, why, you know, like, why do you drop – you know, this is kind of what it's, it's, it's – I built that in. That I've kept that in because I know you were about to say, why do you drive? What do you mean? Well, I drive. That. I drive. I drive an hour to work every day, one way. Uh huh. Which is I, my. I looked it up the other day. My house is sixty-seven miles from my office, and I, and I've been doing it since twenty eleven. So I've been doing it for eight years. I got one hundred and seventy thousand miles on that car. Got three hundred on another one. And they're like, why do you drive so much? I was like, well, I did a scooter for three winters, looking like the Michelin Man. So. <laughs> <laughs> a commute is not that bad. You yeah. know, it's just kind of how your perspective is with it. And, and I love what I do and I'm people I work with. So, I mean, that's kind of helped too. Certainly but I've kept put- that morning routine because it, it reminds me who I am, what I am, and what am I trying to do. And so as the day rolls on, I can always fall back on being open to somebody saying what we were just talking about. Like, am I going to process it? Am, am I going to take my own inventory? And I've, kept a, and I've kept a book study with the guys on Monday night. We get together. And we're reading the book is very, very informal when you get a group of guys in their <laughs> late twenties, early thirties. We can we can digress some, but you know, we try to keep it centered as best we can. I've been doing that the whole time. And Wednesday's night's my home group and I've set up the chairs for over ten years. Hmm. I got the key and I am there. I had a chance to be on our AA softball team, but the games are Mondays and Wednesdays. So and y'all I I'm very into sports and very competitive and all you name it, I want to do it. And I said, No, nah, I can't do that. Why? Because yeah. it's Mondays and Wednesdays. It conflicts with, conflicts the, with the, the study and the and those are the ones. I, and if I'm yeah. in town on Sundays, yeah. I go to that Sunday morning. They have a little panel meeting where the 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 guests in the treatment center put the questions yeah. on the board that I was in. And like I said, one of the first things was the people on that Sunday morning. I that's one of the first things I've came to believe was those people were coming in there and were telling me the truth. I could believe that. I don't know why. I don't know what it was. Is that was one of the first thing, things I came to believe is that they did have no ulterior motive but to come in and help somebody. You know, I think that that's one of the most powerful things that as an alcoholic and addict that I've got is that I can connect with another alcoholic and addict in a way that someone who isn't can't. It, they, they can have the best advice, the best intentions. They can say it exactly what I would say. But the fact that I've got that experience, we know. When, we're li- when I'm listening to someone who is providing treatment information, but they don't have any experience of what I've gone through versus someone who does have experience, and they might not have the education, but they've got experience in recovery, I get them. Yeah, it speaks volumes. You can trust them. Yeah. And it's hard to trust book learning. Book learning. <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> that, I, I think that's interesting what you're saying, Drew, about Oh, uh, the prayer, not being willing to give that up no matter what. And your home group sounds like is real commitment to be in there. Yeah, there's a set up at least 100 chairs every Wednesday. And I go straight from work most of the time because it just doesn't make a point to go to my house and then back out. 
And uh, I've had sponsees help me with it over the years, but it's just one of those that everybody's like, well, you know, you shouldn't do that. We should get the chairperson to find the people. And then the control takes over uh, to a degree. I try to say to a degree is that I want the chair set up like I want them. <laughs> we've, we've moved location three times and I've tried to capture that energy we've had since the get go. And, yeah. you know, we talk, it's kind of that fireplace, you know, talk chat type deal. Like it's a campfire talk. I kind of circle the chairs instead of setting them up like a pew it's a big group and, and it's something that keeps it's it's always something I can fall back on. It's in the middle of the week. It's a Wednesday, so I've only missed it for holidays. And if if work sent me out of town for the week, mm. I can always be there. I now, like is it having, just I like having that with a home group. Yeah. Th- having that commitment with a home group. I need to have one meeting a week that I'm absolutely committed to show up to to make AA happen, not to show up to to get help. You know, where mm. someplace where I'm given where I'm committed to going no matter what, I have to be there. That way I can't talk myself out of going to a meeting because there's a really good TV show on. And I feel good. You know, I'm okay. So I think, you know, it's it's protection against myself. Yeah. To the killer's inside meeting. the house. Yeah. <laughs> that is your head. Inside the house. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> now I'm scared. But I am scared because I see people go out who have long-term sobriety. And I don't know what part of AA is the part that's keeping me sober. <laughs> I've, I've always was pointed out to me as a symbol. I, I, I was, it was harped on early on because that book study I started is I was just the reader. I read every week. I was the one that would read, and and I and I we'd gone through it enough over the years that I knew when to pause. So Charlie knew Charlie would lead the <laughs> the moderation of what it would be. But they harped on is like it's a it's an equilateral triangle, and if you don't have one of those sides, it falls in on itself. So I've kept I, I and like I was explaining. So I kept the, my morning is my is my recovery part. You know, doing the book study with the guys, and we usually go do dinner one afterwards. That's my in my fellowship, my and 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 keeping my unity, and then my service is my home group, and then going out to that treatment center where I give. I don't go to get. Mm-hmm. I get more from like my morning with myself, and then talking with those guys and that book study as irreverent as it can get, and we can get off on our fantasy football talking. But you know, I I now lead it. Yeah. So I read and I lead. So I pause and I try to ask the question. So I'm the, I also take the part of is like, all right, I got to keep this in balance or I'm not going to get what I, I you know. I, I, I love that you're pointing that out, that it's, that it's an equilateral triangle, that each one of these things, service, uh, recovery, unity, and service, they need to be balanced too. Because any one of those, you know, years ago, my service was huge and my unity was pretty good and the recovery was really small. And I wound up, bad idea sounded good, and I started over. The equilateral triangle, those things need to be balanced is really important. I'm glad you said that. Also, you were talking about you want to do that morning prayer no matter what. And that made me remember when my, uh, about seven years sober, my brother died. And I was so angry when he died at God that I was didn't want to pray. But there was part of me that realized that well, what I wouldn't give up was every day I said, keep me sober today, and thank you for keeping me sober at the end of the day. And But I said it like, it was like I was pissed <laughs> off. I couldn't do anything more than that. Even I'd get up because I was so angry that it was emotional, and it was it didn't make sense. I mean, I knew that, I know that death is a part of life, 
and there's no way we get away from it or we get around it. So, you know, God's not going to necessarily keep someone that I want to keep keep them alive or or take away their suffering on my time. Or get rid of the people I want to get rid of. Or get rid of the people. <laughs> <laughs> Made a list of all people we had harmed and asked God to remove them. Isn't that exactly. the way the I steps think that's work? how that goes, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, Ask God to remove them all. <laughs> but, but I was unwilling to give up the fact that I, I have always stayed sober asking God to keep me sober and thanking God for keeping me sober at the end of the day. So I couldn't give that up. And I think that helped because it kept, you know, a little crack in the window where some light could get through. And I think even that has changed over the years, too, because I've got to because I can overthink of it, too. And I, I've, I know I've done it. Sometimes I think I'm doing it just because it's my good lucky, my lucky charm. You know, and, uh, yeah. and then I put it on based on of, well, if I do this, I should get the things I think I should get, you know, and uh, it, I can get lost in that, but I got to be open. And, I, and when I talk to other people and I'm willing to listen, I've changed if I change it up sometimes. I remember sometimes I'd forget what part I do the same prayer every morning right. from this, you know, I'd got a card early on from this old timer and, and I realized I, I was losing my place in that because I was already thinking about my day. I didn't even yeah. know what word I'm on because I'd gone through it so many times I already knew it. And then... I had, well, people would harp on, you know, the, the the thumpers would be like, well, this is how it says it on page 86 on how you're supposed to pray. And upon awakening, well, what is awakening? So I, it's after I take a shower and start drinking some coffee. <laughs> I, I, I got to wake up and know what I'm saying. And then at one point or another, I would pray and then I'd read a meditation. Well, in the last few years, I flipped it up. Uh-huh. And, I, and I read a meditation first and allow that to guide my thinking as I pray. The same prayer, but I think my thoughts go... Yeah. Somewhere different. You mix it up. Yeah. I mix it up too. Makes it real. I just uh, just this past week um, printed out in really big fonts because like I can't like see in the dark. Well, at night when we retire, I is on one page, and on the other side is on awakening, and I put it on my bedside table, and it's there just as like here's another invitation to just pick this up and do this, and I do things like that periodically just to change things up on me. Yeah. It's a concern. I've, I've watched people go out that have had a lot of sobriety, and I don't know. You know, so like it, it scares me. Because yeah. I mean, I don't know. What if I'm lying to myself? What if I'm not really doing everything I need to do? I, ugh, I hate going there with with that, but I it it always makes me redirect my efforts. What? Sometimes you got to lose this power of a bad example sometimes, yeah. but it also, yeah. and then here's the, here's the thing too is though. So you start to say, well, what took them out? And you always ask them and it's always a little different because, because yeah, if we knew this is what's going to lead you out, why don't we just, well, just don't do that. But right. it's always, it's always a little bit of everything or a little bit of one piece or that. And, you know, back to the, am I doing, I'll, I'll give the example to the, the treatment center because they're sitting in there and I'm sitting there like, all right, you got four legs. Let's just say those are the suggestions. Well, we could take one of the suggestions away and you can balance for a little while. Mm-hmm. You can take two, you can have two legs. You can balance on one leg. But when something comes <laughs> from left field, you don't keep your balance. Yeah. yeah. And so it's like the more I, I do to keep a foundation and keep a, another leg on the ground, whenever anything unexpected comes, I can, I can, you know, I might not gracefully stay up, but I'll stay up. Yeah, you know, and and that's that's kind of 
I've always tended to lend towards analogies around trying to explain things to people because sometimes it helps me see yeah. myself. And then you're going to have some smart ass point out, you know, things like weebles wobble, but they don't fall down. They don't have any legs. Because <laughs> <laughs> they, they really fall down. <laughs> exactly. They wobble. <laughs> so can you stand on one leg? Yeah, at times. Not long. And, okay, and, let's see you and, do and it. And rub your stomach. And <laughs> let's your see head. you do it right now and dodge this owl. <laughs> Crash. Uh, the owl took out Drew. Sorry, y'all. Uh, <laughs> Here, I'll help you up. Here you go. <laughs> oh, there he is. It's time for our old-timers question. Who are you calling an old-timer? You. That's what happens if you don't drink and you don't die. Well, no matter how long you've been sober, Sammy, it's still one day at a time. Thanks for not calling me Missy. (laughs) (laughs) You can post a question for us on boiledowlaa.org. We have a question. Oh, good. We have a question from WC in Fieldstown. (laughs) Godfrey Daniels! (laughs) I keep on seeing and hearing about CBD. I even hear some people in the rooms talk about it. Is it okay to use it? Will I still be sober? I don't know what it is. All right. Uh, so CBD is this um, thing that uh, is a uh, cannabidiol oil. Uh, it's something derived from cannabis, from marijuana uh, plants, from hip hemp plants. Mm-hmm. Um, and it... In all marijuana plants are hemp, are hemp but not all hemp are marijuana. But the hemp plants are hip. Hip. There you go. So CBD is uh, is is a cure all that's out there, uh, in, in and it's being heavily marketed um, as having all types of therapeutic products for people, uh, from pain reduction to stress relief to to all kind, whatever. And so uh, maybe our this question isn't the appropriate one for our old timer. Does um, the well? Does the CBB the CB, CBD CBD <laughs> CBD CBD? Does the CBD uh, change the way you feel? Well, that's one of the things that uh, uh, it depends on whether or not it's pure or not. So, a, a refined CBD has uh, very little to no THC in it, so no psychoactive properties. But something could be marketed as CBD without THC and actually have it in it. And THC is that part yeah. of marijuana that gets you high. Right. Well, I think my problem is I want to change the way I feel. So to take anything that has the ability that does that can be a problem for me because I will want to get away from myself instead of dealing with myself by using the tools of the program. With the care of a doctor, it can be different. Mm-hmm. But even so, with the care of a doctor, I don't want to take drugs because that alter the way I feel. There are, certain, there are antidepressants I can take that are not mood-altering. Mm-hmm. The ones that are mood-altering, alcoholics, addicts get addicted to them. They get addicted to them quick, regardless of what studies show. It's the experience of AA that they get addicted to them. Mm-hmm. Why am I using CBD? That would be my question. What's what's the point? Yeah. So if I look at my motives, if I'm using anything in the world, am I using it to get out of something, to change the way I feel? 
if that's the reason I'm using it, I need to look at that. I need to be honest with that. We are talking about being honest with ourselves earlier and having old-timers and people in A model that for me. People had to model that for me to see it. Mm-hmm. And I, that's what I need to do is be honest with myself. So that's, that's what I think about that. I think it's a fantastic answer. Uh-huh. Or not. No, it is an answer. <laughs> I'm not judging That's is not, what not, I'm saying. That's not an answer. <laughs> Drew, <laughs> what are your thoughts? Do you want me to reread the question? or No, I heard it because okay. I've, I've actually talked to some people around certain things like this. And uh-huh. um, I, I'm kind of in, in, in Don's, you know, I try, I try to avoid not putting myself in other people's shoes. So like if by the guy, I love the guy, but I had never thought of that. I'd never heard that, you know, it may be marketed as not and still have it in there. Mm-hmm. That's a risk that I never even thought, you know, I didn't have it in any of my discussions prior that it could be unpure. Right. Which is kind of like the whole vaping thing. It's very unregulated industry right now. Mm-hmm. So it's, it doesn't feel like a risk I would take personally. And I have a view of this kind of the same as if I'm trying to change how I feel or if, if I'm doing it for pain relief, cause it seems all natural. Why don't I just take a leave? Mm-hmm. Um, I've had a few surgeries in sobriety and I've had to take painkillers to heal. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I'm Sam mean you've talked a lot around our back surgeries. Exactly. Um, I've had a tendon ripped off my finger from playing basketball. You know, I've broken my nose, you know, I've had different things happen, but I, have been very militant in how I handle, you know, the pain meds. Um, Cause I had many surgeries prior to getting sober and, and, and know what that does. Well, and, speak about that. How did you manage the pain? Well, uh, I always said that um, I would give my, give it to be dispensed to me where mm-hmm. I didn't control it. And it got to the point where, and, and I'm very guarded about this is that I, I don't like it. And I, and I went through when, with the, with the crone surgeries I had and, and, you know, having the ostomy bag and I got to where I knew I was taking it just to take it. Mm. And I was just, and it was no more pain, and I knew why I was taking it. And that's a scary feeling. And I, I maybe I'm a little different than some people is I, I, I just I get off it as soon as I can because I just don't like it that's in, in general. But um, there's different things I've talked around with other people that you know some people are on the fence with, and I am nowhere near on the fence. I'm off the fence on on some, some like kava and stuff like that that mm. changes a, mo- a mood altering thing, but they say it's not necessarily. Whatever it is, I don't know. But mm-hmm. uh, CBD, uh, it seems so new. It's like it's kind of like when you want to. I feel you need to be educated enough. And I love the fact is all what you just said educated me even more than I thought I already was, and it's leaned me even more to of for me. I would choose not to do it. Yeah. It's not worth that risk. If I'm in that much of a, I need that for the calming effect. I think there's something else. There's an, uh, something underlying I need to look at. But uh, you know, it's, it's a great thing, and that's where you know a lot of this is. Uh, in the modern world we're going to, and it's kind of like, at some point or another, you got to make a stance. I think a personal, a personal stance. And, and, and I think having more information is better than not. And I think a lot of the times things get said and nobody backs it up. The, the, the life of social media mm-hmm. and where things go. And, you know, same thing I was talking about with my sponsor allowing here, here's here, here's all the information, make your decision, but please look at the information, be open-minded yeah. to read it. And then make your own determination, but make sure you got the right source too. And I think that's where it's lost a lot in our in our uh, our times is the source. And looking where look at where you're getting it from. Are you getting all this information from the people that's trying to sell you CBD? It might not be the <laughs> <laughs> especially when they've got the sign up on the telephone pole on the corner, you know. Yeah. <laughs> and I've got good over the years of. I allow people to be where they are too. I'm the one too. If I see a post on say Facebook and it goes and it's like, wow, that's a bit much. And you know what? Hide that post. 
Mm-hmm. I don't engage in it. I just said, all right, you're allowed to be where you are. I might not agree, but I'm going to get less benefit out of approaching certain things than others. And I just kind of let it be. And I think it's more of a personal one-on-one conversation a lot of times. So Yeah, choose your battles wisely. To yeah. me, that used to mean uh, pick the battles that I could win. <laughs> now it means, is it worth my serenity to even engage? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Uh, you know, for me with CBD, so I, I've had a conversation recently with my sponsor about this, who is a, uh, a doctor uh, in a uh, treatment center. I've seen and heard so much about CBD for a year now, and I have heard people in the rooms talking about uh, using it or asking about using it. Uh, and then I listened to uh, a show on uh, public radio that was an hour-long uh, interview show, well-sourced, uh, respectable show, talking about um, CBD. So it brought me some new information, and I had questions. So I talked with my sponsor about it, and I did some research uh, of a, a, a reputable source for it. And even reading that research, I was still unsure, you know, is this something that I want to pull in? And the reason I'm looking at it is that I, I have back pain. I, I have uh, pain going down my leg, which was the very beginning of my back pain 15 years ago. And that, that's back. And, um, and I don't want to deal with it. You know, I'm still in denial that it's even happening right now. So I got some, some information on it. And I sat down and I talked with my sponsor about it. And one of the things he suggested, too, was for me to speak with another doctor who was in the program who is a trusted friend. Uh, and I spoke with him about that about it over the weekend. And I got two different schools of thought on CBD. And one was that, you know, it's not okay. Uh, it, this is something that's got some THC in it. Uh, you don't know how much it is. And, uh, and you know, obviously the choice is yours, but we don't recommend it to um, our patients, to our guests. And then I got word from another doctor that was, it's not a big deal. There's what's in there will not affect you. It's not psychoactive. Uh, there's at a, it's not at a level that's psychoactive and you may get some relief. The place that I had come prior to talking to, to the doctor over this weekend is that it's still too new. It's just still too new for me to make the decision to use it. The FDA has approved a, uh, a, a drug that is CBD uh, for one use, and that's for epileptic seizures. So there is only one version of CBD out in the world right now that is medically pure. And it's not going to be prescribed for sciatica, at least not yet. So I'm not going to buy something from a source. I'm not going to buy it from a store. I'm not going to buy it online. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to try it yet. But at some point, if, uh, if I am in need of some type of pain relief, and that might be the source, a solution for that pain relief, and it's an, a medically pure product that's available to me legally, then I may explore it. I don't know. So the yeah. place I'm in right now is pause. Yeah. These are hard questions in recovery mm-hmm. because... Like I had surgery and had to take pain medicine after major surgery. I mean, you can't you do it without it. <laughs> you have to take it. So the same thing happened to me, Drew, when I was taking that pill afterwards. I think it was like the fifth night I realized I was looking forward to the pill mm. because I would go right to sleep and it would be beautiful dreams. 
<laughs> and I was going, wait a minute, wait a minute. I did yeah. not like that feeling. I did not like that thought. Uh, you weren't taking it as prescribed at that point because it wasn't prescribed for good dreams. It wasn't prescribed for good dreams or enhanced dreams. <laughs> you know, but but sometimes you know you have to take these oh, things yeah, and you have you to do. deal. You have to deal with it, and you've got to balance that stuff, and you've got you know you got to get input from other people. So, and I, I love that it was very clearly stated to me by both of these guys that you know the choice is yours, Sam. I want to be as informed as I can be, and I love that my sponsor is like, no, you will. It's not like, no, you shall not pass type of thing. Um, he's like, you know, here's the information. You've already, you're talking, which is something that you didn't do the last time when you uh, just decided to take uh, diet pills. Mm-hmm. Um, you didn't talk with anybody about that. Now you're talking about it. You're, you've got a light on it, and right. that in itself is a big deal. Yeah, that's right. Well, this has been great. Drew, thanks for coming. Absolutely. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I did too. I wasn't, didn't know what to expect, and it was it, 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 ex, it exceeded all non-expectations. <laughs> I love that. Dude, that's awesome. The boiled out exceeds all non-expectations. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for joining us. The Boiled Owl podcast is posted on the 1st and 15th of every month. Visit us at boiledowlaa.org or email giveahoot at boiledowlaa.org. If you want to know more about AA, Google Alcoholics Anonymous and your city or visit aa.org. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience and opinions. It is not endorsed by AA World Services. Please note, Boiled Owl AA is produced by members of AA and only expresses our experience. <laughs> Outtakes. Godfrey Daniels. God dandruff and some of it itches. <laughs>